Good morning. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And that's from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And that's from Peter verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 24. These words remind us how much God loves us, and as we meet together here this morning to share in our Holy Communion service, we praise Him once again for His goodness and His knowledge and His ongoing care for us. Brilliant. I invite Susan to bring us the reading today. Today's reading is taken from the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 46, verses 1 to 11. Joseph makes himself known. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all the attendants, and he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's households heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we're looking at this series of men of faith. Um, over the last, we started it, Esther started it last week, and over the next number of weeks, um, that will be our theme. Will be we'll take different characters uh, from the scriptures, and we'll look at what their lessons are for us um, today, um, how they leave a legacy for us. Um, to follow today. Last week, um, Esther uh, talked to us about uh, Noah, um, how Noah was found faithful, how Noah walked with God, uh, was obedient to God. Um, for 120 years, he built an ark as the people laughed and scorned at him. Um, and through all of that, he was obedient, faithful, and continued to walk with God. And today, we look at this story of Joseph. Um, and uh, Susan read for us towards the end of the story of Joseph in chapter 
uh, 45. Whenever Joseph brings uh, all of his family, um, and the last couple of verses tell us of the whole nation of Israel effectively um, coming into the land of Egypt. Um, remember, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob was Joseph's father. So Jacob was the father of the nation of Israel at this stage. Um, and so the whole nation of Israel is coming in um, to Egypt. Um, and we'll look at that um, a little bit later on. But let's pray uh, as we begin. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that your word is life-giving. Lord, we thank you that even though a story of a man who lived many centuries ago, by your spirit you will inspire to us today what it is that we can take from it and learn from it. That we might get to know you better and make you better known, not only in ourselves and in our families, but in our community. So Father God, as we open this word today, we pray that by your spirit you would inspire and release in us the new things that you want to teach to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to kind of do a little bit of a whistle-stop tour through the story of Joseph. So if you want it to take your pew Bible that's in front of you and open up at Genesis, um, that would be great. And we start in Genesis chapter 37 um, as we look through this kind of whistle-stop tour uh, before we get to that main teaching point um, today. Um, in chapter 36, you'll see it's that long list. Sometimes there's chapters in the Bible that are long lists of names um, that so-and-so begat so-and-so, and they begat so-and-so, and they begat so-and-so, and they begat so-and-so, and they begat so-and-so. And those are often the passages that we kind of go, all right, quickly flick over, um, and we'll not read those, because the names are too hard to pronounce, and we're not sure what we're going to get out of them. But genealogies are really important in the Scriptures, because they show us the lineage of who people are. They show us the faithfulness of God through generations of how He travels with His people. And so chapter 36 is laying out um, the generations and the genealogy, bringing us um, to the point of Joseph. And Joseph, as I already said, is Jacob's son. Um, Jacob, being the son of Isaac, being the son uh, of Abraham, who is the father of the whole nation of Israel. And so at this stage, uh, three generations later, Joseph being the fourth generation uh, from Abraham, uh, we see um, this story starting to spill out. Chapter 37 describes to us Joseph has a relationship uh, with his immediate family. Uh, I know uh, all of our relationships will be different with our immediate families. Um, and Joseph's relationship with his family uh, was, was that his brothers were exceptionally jealous of him because he was seen to be the favorite one, uh, the one who was favored by his father, to the point where actually one of the most famous things that we recount about Joseph and we tell to our children in the little children's stories is that Joseph wore a technicolored dream coat. Isn't that what we call it? The, the technicolored dream coat. Uh, the coat of many colors. And we call it a dream coat because Joseph had dreams. Uh, chapter 37 uh, begins to describe how Joseph had dreams and how he explained these dreams um, to his brothers, which made them even more jealous because it made Joseph look even more special. And um, so the kind of the setting of that is that Joseph lived in a little bit of tension. Nowhere in this story, nowhere in this chapter does it kind of say that Joseph resented his brothers for feeling that they were jealous towards him. It's almost as if Joseph is oblivious <laughs> to the fact that his brothers feel like this. Um, yeah, you could almost imagine that the other ones might have rounded on him a couple of times or beat him up or slapped him about and said, why he's up, your dad's favorite and you're, oh, look at you and all those kind of things that families do uh, with each other. But 
it didn't seem to happen. Joseph seemed to have been oblivious um, to that. Um, and then we, as we uh, move through uh, that chapter, um, they're absolutely raging um, towards the end of it that he uh, got this special robe. Uh, chapter 38 um, talks about um, Judah and Tamar and there's lots of stuff in there that we won't touch on um, today. That chapter's uh, for another day. But 39, then we look at Joseph um, having been um, sold um, into slavery. Um, chapter 39 describes um, that moment um, no, aye, 37 before he was sold into slavery, wasn't it? His brothers are so jealous of him um, that whenever he comes out to bring them something in the field, whenever they're looking after it, and that they decide that they should kill him and they should get rid of him. And that's the best course of action. Uh, but one of them start, steps up to the plate and says, maybe that's a bit extreme. Maybe we just put him in this dry well and hide him. Um, then that'll sort it out. And as they sit down um, to eat, they see um, the traders coming along and they decide to sell him to the traders who sell him to the Egyptians um, as a slave. And so Joseph finds himself um, as a slave in Egypt. In chapter 39, we read of the other thing that Joseph is famous for, the story that we recount about him, where he fleed uh, the wiles uh, of Potiphar's wife. Uh, that moment where um, day after day she tries to seduce him. Day after day she tries to get into bed with him. And day after day Joseph says no. Until one day, whenever she was so strong about it, uh, that Joseph had to run away. And she grabbed his garment, and his garment fell off, and his coat fell off. Um, and so the coat remained, the garment remained with Potiphar's wife. And then, whenever the other people come into the house, she's like, look, this man tried to do things to me, and he, he fleed whenever I tried to scream, and I've got his coat to prove it. And all of a sudden, um, Joseph moves from being the one having been sold into slavery becoming the head of Potiphar's house to being the one who is now in jail in Egypt. His life seems to be filled with ups and downs. He's the favorite at home. Then he's in a well and he's sold as a slave. And then he rises within that moment and that circumstance to become the head of Potiphar's house. And then he's back to being in prison again. But in prison, he meets... Um, the cupbearer and the king, in the cupbearer of the king, um, and the baker in chapter forty, and they have dreams, and he interprets these dreams to him because remember he's a dreamer, um, and there's something in that phrase, isn't it? We use that phrase with some people, don't we? They're a dreamer, but we almost use it sometimes as a bit of a derogatory thing, don't we? If we describe somebody as a dreamer, it's as if their their feet aren't grounded. <laughs> They're living in a different world. They're in a different place. They're, they're not in, uh, in contact with reality. But Joseph was a different kind of dreamer. He, he dreamt things that he could understand. And he could understand other people's dreams. And so as these, uh, this cupbearer and this beggar shared with Joseph the dreams that they had, Joseph interprets them. And the interpretations become true. They're released from prison. And exactly what Joseph says about them, three days later you'll become, you'll reach the king his cup again and three days later to the baker you will die. Those things happen. But the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. And so Joseph languishes in prison. He's there in chapter 40. He remains in prison. Even though he had done things that were right, the people that he had asked to help him didn't. And so in chapter 41, 
he rises from being a prisoner because the king, uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, uh, the head of all of Egypt, has a few dreams that nobody else can interpret. So Pharaoh's raging. <laughs> all his magicians and all those people cannot interpret these dreams. And so eventually the cupbearer kind of goes, ah, I mean a Hebrew boy that's in prison. He's good at that kind of thing. And the Pharaoh sends for him and Joseph comes and interprets the dreams in chapter 41. Dreams that are significant, not only for the nation of Israel, but for the whole of the known world at that time. Joseph interprets these seven fat calves and coming up out of the Nile is the place and the time and the years whenever the harvest will be good. And then the skinny calves being the time whenever the famine will come. And so he encourages Pharaoh that actually what should happen is that Egypt should store up as much of the goods as they can in the good years so they can live through the lean years and become the most powerful nation on earth because everyone will want to come to them because nobody else will have prepared for the famine because nobody else has seen it coming. And because of this, what happens? Well, in chapter 41, verse 41, we read these words. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes and in garments of fine linen and he put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole of the land of Egypt. The only thing Joseph wasn't in charge of was that he could not sit in Pharaoh's throne. Everything else was under Joseph's feet now. Just think back to a little bit of the description just a few seconds ago. Whenever he was seduced by Potiphar's wife, she stole a garment from him to wrongly accuse him of something. And just a few years later, Joseph is being adorned with a garment that now means he is in charge of the whole of the land. There's something of significance in those years of perseverance for Joseph. Those years where he languished against false accusations, those years where he languished in prison, those years where he felt as if everything else was falling in around him, his perseverance of remaining pure and right and walking with God meant that now he received the garment of praise and he is now in the highest position in the land. And when we read through Genesis 42, um, all the way through Genesis chapter 42, uh, through to 44, we read that the good years have been. Egypt has stored up all of the goods, and, and then we begin to read um, in chapter 42 um, and 43 how the nations around Egypt now are starving in famine. So Jacob's father sends the rest of his sons to Egypt to find food. They come to Egypt, and they come before Joseph, but they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. He's changed. He was a young adolescent boy or man whenever they sold him as a slave, and now he has grown into the most powerful man except Pharaoh in the whole of Egypt. His appearance will have changed because he has aged. His demeanor will have changed because everyone now is bowing at his feet. He's not in a stinking well 
anymore or on a slave caravan or slave trading route. He is now the most powerful man except for Pharaoh. And they don't recognize him. And we see that they come and Joseph sends them back with goods. And then they come for a second time. Whenever they come for a second time, it's interesting because if you read the story in detail, uh, and we'll not go into all of that today, but if you read the story in detail, it's things like, um, you know, they come and they see Joseph again and Joseph gives them everything they need and he replaces all the money in their wallets the first time. So whenever they go back to their father, they're overflowing. Not just have they got what they came for, but their money has been returned. And so they're blessed immeasurably. So they go back again. And whenever they come back again, um, they get everything that they need. But Joseph tells them he's going to keep one of them so that they can go and bring uh, their dad and bring all of their other brothers with them. As they go, Joseph hides um, some valuables in their sacks. Then he sends men after them and then uh, he brings them back because now they are uh, accused of stealing. And so one of them remains as kind of insurance so that whenever they go, they will come back with what it is that Joseph has asked for. And whenever they come back, um, there's a moment uh, in chapter 45 that Susan read for us where Joseph reveals himself to them then. First one of chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all of his attendants, he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence, so that there was no one with Joseph whenever he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household also heard it. His emotions were plain to be seen. He wasn't holding back at this point. Verse 3 says, Joseph and his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Just imagine what's going through their heads at that point, can't you? I mean, what we did to that wee fella. We took his really nice coat off and we put him in it well and we sold him to slave traders. But now he's standing in front of us. It, it's him. Oh, oh, oh dear. They were terrified in his presence, it says. And Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Now done so, I am your brother Joseph, the one who sold you into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. There's a bigger plan at work. And often we can't see what the big plan is whenever we're in the midst of what it is that we're in the middle of. Then Joseph goes on to talk about the famine, the reaping, the sowing, the provision that he can give to them. He sends them back to his father. He keeps one of them as insurance. As you read on in this chapter, you'll find that. There's a bigger picture at play than the details that were seen in the moment. And that is so true in your life and in my life that there are bigger pictures at play than the moments that just we can see. And there's reconciliation in this moment. There's a moment where Joseph could have said, here, how long about it, boys? I mind what you've done to me. And I know where you live, wee lad. But he didn't. 
mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation happened. Even for all of the terrible things that have been wreaked upon Joseph. So what can we learn from this story? I think the first thing that we can learn is that we need to seek excellence and not settle. Joseph, in one sense, wasn't content whenever he was in Potiphar's house to simply do the things that he needed to do. He'd done them so well that Potiphar put him in charge of everything. Joseph wasn't content to simply be out of prison and be in a place of authority. He'd done it so well that he received the greatest authority except Pharaoh in the whole of Egypt. He pursued excellence and he didn't settle for the mediocre. He did things that were right. He wanted to make sure that his whole family, his whole nation would benefit from the provision of Egypt. And so he set about excellence and encouraging them and making them all come to that place. Second thing I think we can learn is that we should and could and should, should and could and should, I don't know, um, live a morally pure life. If you read that story of Potiphar's wife, there's a particular phrase in one of the lines where it says, day after day, she tried to get him to lie with her. That was consistent temptation. But Joseph consistently said, no. My master has put me in charge of all things and I cannot take from him what is only for him. And so he lived a morally pure life. And thirdly, maintaining a positive attitude. Nowhere in this story do we see Joseph getting angry or kind of getting, how do you phrase the next word, kind of getting down on himself or um, kind of getting uppity and saying, look at everything that's happened to me, for goodness sake, why me? He didn't do that. He, he maintained a really positive attitude that said, you didn't send me here, it was God who sent me here. There's a purpose in this. I can stand before Pharaoh. I can interpret your dreams. I can help you plan for a famine that is yet to come. I can step into the moment of negativity and bring a positivity to it. So he sought excellence. He lived a morally pure life. He maintained a positive attitude. And he fulfilled God's purpose. Because fulfilling God's purpose is more significant than anything else. Elsewhere in the scriptures, we'll see um, that the Lord's purpose for us is for good. Jeremiah 29, 11, for the, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you hope in the future. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. We see in this story where Joseph says, it was God who sent me here so that all things could be worked out for the good. Actually, uh, later on um, in chapter 50, I think it is.
chapter 50 and verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I think that's a wonderful phrase. You intended it to harm, but God intended it for good. And sometimes we find ourselves in those really difficult and negative and hard places where we feel we are being harmed. I'm not saying that God sends that or brings that upon us, but in those moments, as we maintain a positive attitude in those moments, maybe we can see what God will do through those moments for the good in the future. I think the fifth thing that we can, we can recall out of this story today is to be reminded that of the wonder of forgiveness. The healing power that's contained within us. And in a few moments, we will draw around the Lord's table, the ultimate act of forgiveness, where we will remember his life, his death, and his resurrection, where we will remember what he has done for each one of us in his act of sacrifice so that we might be forgiven. Joseph shows us in this story about the wonder of forgiveness. This is not just a nice story about a wee lad who has a technicolor dream coat. Because that's sometimes how we can play the story of Joseph. But it's about a man who refused to be tricked. A man who refused to be seduced by the momentary pleasures of life. This is the kind of a man of faith who is able to use the circumstances that God gave him to bring glory to his Lord and his master. They may have intended it for harm, but I have intended it for good, says the Lord. So what's your attitude today? What's my attitude are you ensuring that you can build perseverance in your life with the hope that there's brighter days yet to come are there relationships that need restored Perseverance is not an easy thing. We know that. By nature, it's not something that we would desire to have to do. But it's often the place that we might find ourselves in. And so it's what we do and how we do it in those difficult moments that will write the ending to the story that is yet to come. Let us pray together.
Father God, we thank you for your presence amongst us. We thank you that even though others may intend it for harm, that you can use it for good. We thank you that as we don't settle, but as we seek excellence, that you give us the strength and the grace to do it. We thank you that as we seek to remain a life that is morally pure, that the false accusations that could or may come around us, the lies that could be told, would fall away as you show the truth. And there's moments where we find it hard. Give us the strength and the grace to maintain an attitude of positivity that looks to you, that carries your story within our story. Help us to see today, Lord, that your purpose is even more significant than what it is that we think we're going through in this moment. That your plans are to prosper, to help, not to harm, and to hinder. In the precious and beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As we close, uh, we hear the words of the blessing today. Peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds and knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. May the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Don't rush away.